I loved doing the podcast you're about to hear for two reasons. One, borderline personality disorder, which is today's topic, is one of the places where I think a biblical view of who we are as human beings has especially high potential to shine. I think the Bible allows us such a powerful and unique window on what's going on inside people in general, and people who manage to acquire the label borderline in particular, and it was very thought-provoking for me to talk with David Pallison about this crucial place where our biblical worldview absolutely has to touch down the ground and roll up its sleeves. The second reason I loved doing it, though, was that it was really cool to see how the church has such an opportunity to do really good ministry. If we can just come to it with the right mindset, I hope you'll find it as thought-provoking and encouraging as I did. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Welcome back to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves, a faculty member here at CCEF and director of CCEF New England. Today, my guest is David Pallison. David, it's good to have you back. It's a pleasure, Alistair. David, today, um, what I'd like for us to, to zoom in on is uh, a tricky topic. Uh, the, the broad headline is borderline personality disorder. But I want to say a word or two about how I got to thinking about this for the particular conversation I'm hoping we can have today. Um, I've had a number of chances to interact with this label, people who bear it, people who see their spouse as bearing it, uh, people who are worried that they may bear it, people who wonder what it means, uh, and then also some uh, chances I've had to consult with uh, various church leadership teams who have someone in their congregation whose patterns and life and, and behaviors are causing really significant challenges for uh, often, you know, the women's ministry or a small group or, or something like that. And as you listen to what's going on, it, it sort of would fit in what uh, what you'd call in a, in a secular clinical setting would be called borderline personality disorder. And it's just got me thinking about, okay, if you're in church leadership, if you're in a, a church context and you're seeing someone who fits this definition, who fits this, this label, how do... How do you as a church organize help for that person? How do you embrace them? How do you challenge them? What about things like boundary drawing? Just how, how do you as a church come around such a person and and bless them and treat them as a person and not just a label? So I know this is something you've thought a lot about. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Feel free to start uh, big picture with the label itself if you want, but, but the driving edge of the conversation that I think would be most fruitful for us would be to say, you're in a church, how does the church function as part of caring for someone where there's just a really difficult relational context? Sure. So, go you ahead. know, I, I do think that the word you use, difficult, is probably as good a summary as anything. These are difficult people, and they find life difficult, and life is a great struggle, and it's a struggle for the, the person who does fit the patterns to get that label. And it's a huge struggle for the people around that person, family, church, friends, and so forth. The, uh, let me say, let me do say a word first about the label. 
it, it's one of the more um, dehumanizing labels mm. uh, it, when it comes to psychiatric labels. I uh, Borderline personality disorder sounds like you're right on the edge between being a human being and being something else. Mm. I think what it intends to communicate is that this person is not quite crazy. Mm. They're on the border. Uh, they may be very smart. They may be very insightful. They may have great gifts. Uh, and yet they cause an awful lot of trouble. And they, they are very troubled uh, within, uh, within themselves. It, uh, the, as a label, it's pretty damning. And a lot of what the secular world would say is pretty despairing about whether you can really help people. And uh, so it's certainly a cautionary kind of kind of starting point. I I do think that labels do describe things, but labels aren't a very good starting place. This is a human being who's got a lot of troubles, and redemption is for people with troubles. Mm. So we have to come at the person in a way that gets at the humanity. Mm. You know, uh, many people are familiar with the label and what it means. Why don't we just take... 30 seconds here and, and put our own sort of sense of what, what are we even talking about when we talk about borderline personality disorder-ish or like or, sure. or someone who would fit that description in a clinical setting. When I think about it, I'm thinking um, primarily about um, someone who is, who is extremely sensitive um, and, and who easily um, finds relationships to be incredibly agonizing. So there's this extreme desire for relationship um, and connection and safety and extreme fear of being abandoned. Um, and and then you end up usually in a, in a place where you, you sort of fluctuate between clinging, clinging desperately to someone who you perceive can help and nurture and, and bless and will be with you, and, but then also pulling strongly away, lashing out strongly when um, when you sense that this person is in any way becoming a threat to you or is not living up to what you hope for from them. How, how would you yeah. capture yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've captured very vividly a lot of the qualities that, that first strike one, uh, as well as probed into some of the person's experience. I, maybe the way I'd, I would come at it, is create a, a little bit of a of a separation between the it's the overt behaviors that cause so much trouble for other people because we are behavioral and we do affect people by what we do and what our emotions we express and what we say and so forth and a lot of the behaviors that are so troublesome uh, are the uh, push and pull and the hypersensitivity to reading or overreading possible rejection yep. uh, the volatility of emotions the the fact that there's no stable landing point the fact the person might say one thing at one moment uh, with a certain emotion and then and then it's on to something completely different and you know this this emotional uh, explosive volatile unstable quality there are there are other kinds of things that can be very distressing to relation to relationships and offering help the person might be very manipulative there might be lies or things that seem to be said with complete conviction and then get reversed you know, a moment later. There can be anger and uh, immorality even. Uh, those things are all very important. Behavior always matters. 
I also think that those things create, just as the secular world is tempted to start with the diagnostic label, we as Christians can be tempted to start and get completely stuck on what are simply the behaviors and fail to then get at what were some of the other pieces of what you shared there briefly, that if you climb into this person's, how this person experiences life, uh, she or he, but it's usually a she, feels extremely vulnerable, feels like she lives in a world that is very threatening, very unstable, and yet she's desperate to be loved. And yet she pushes people away or manipulates people or sleeps with them or does all kinds of destructive things, uh, is neither trusts love nor loves well. That there is often a sense of a, it's, it's, it's as though, and to try to imagine oneself into this experience, that it's a very threatening universe we live in and I'm all alone and there's all these things I wish would happen. And I feel like I'm, I'm always vulnerable and am at all moments threatened with shattering into a million little pieces. Actually, I stress that, that both the inner experience and the behavior, because I do think if you just get stuck on the behavior, you'll tend to approach it simply as high-handed sin, and the sins are serious. On the other hand, the experience of life is a bit different from someone whose anger, say, is just a domineering power person. And the immorality is some promiscuous, hedonistic, adulterous, hedonistic person. Yeah. And the fear is just somebody who's always struggling with anxiety. It, it, there's a package there that I think we're best, a, a, a compassionate starting point tries to put yourself in the shoes right. of what does life feel like for this person. And one of the ways I've thought about that is that that makes it quite vivid and connects to the way we very pointedly to scripture is imagine those all those psalms in which the psalmist feels vulnerable, threatened, anguished, weak, overwhelmed, surrounded, vulnerable, surrounded, that the world's unstable, enemies are out there, you're continually someone might get you. Imagine that experience without the other half of those same psalms. Mm-hmm. There is a Lord who loves me. There is a God who is a redeemer. There is someone who in this universe who is completely safe, who is our refuge. I think that gives you a pretty good picture of what the in the, the sense of instability and threat that, that these uh, sisters and brothers experience. And helps us to, to that, that metaphor both gives you a sympathy for the struggle and at the same time starts to point to the significance of a living faith to rewire hmm. slowly usually uh, probably perhaps aspects of a lifelong struggle but to genuinely begin to rewire how this person comes at life hmm. let me let me extract one strand just with the interest of turning as quickly and consistently as we can toward toward the church mm-hmm. and how the church can move in in helpful ways I think I think I hear you really highlighting compassion as the starting point and the the, the core um, driving force behind the compassion is 
uh, a better attempt to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And so the, the more you can understand, here's a person living out of the bad half of a lot of psalms. Yeah. Here's some great vulnerability, who, great fear. Right, and, and no and no let up. Yeah. And no no relief. No, from, no refuge. No, no refuge. No rock to stand on. Right. Right. I'm sinking in the mire, and that's where the psalm ends. And, um, Which none of them end there. Right. Right. Well, Psalm 88, you could argue. But. You know, Psalm 88, it, it is the mire-ish, mire-ish uh, psalm, but it is all in God's direction. Right. And the experience we're talking about, God's not really a player. With Which, when you get down to it, and I know I'm rabbit trailing us here slightly, but I suppose on, on one level, all the Psalms, all the mire, all the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, all the, the darkness is my closest friend stuff in the Psalms, even even just in one sense, uh, in many cases for people who struggle here, um, even the bad half of the Psalms are really not their Psalms because those Psalms are spoken to the Lord. Yeah, and, and to, to one that, people, Lord, I know you love me, so where are, where are you? Right. So even the sense of despair in the Psalms is actually against a backdrop of right, and it, it's, it's a it's a despair spoken in second person to the one yeah. I'm I'm calling out to, as opposed to what yeah. what what's I think my more, God, more my God, God, right? Why my have God, you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Right. Yeah. Whereas whereas the more instinctive uh, way for us to go away from the Psalms is sort of that God He has forsaken me. Or no there's nobody there. Yeah, I'm in a universe with no right. nobody. There's no home in the universe. Right. Just instability and threat. Right. So okay. So so as 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 a church leadership team, uh, seeing someone in our congregation who would, where we're identifying these sorts of tendencies, um, someone who's 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 perhaps burning people out, uh, connecting strongly. People are saying, "Whoa, this is more than I." know how to sustain and and i pull back and the person feels rejected and, and then there's this division because the next person says oh you, that terrible first helper how yeah. could they how could they run away from yeah. you and, or you and, might be the sixth church that or, this person's exactly. been part of and the story you're going to get is these terrible churches full of unloving people right which often has significant sure. grains of truth to it as sure. well um and at the same time, those people who tried to love got quickly overwhelmed and exactly. then burned out. It's a, it's a two-way street, and, and you, you'll really hear the, the two-way streetness of it. So, okay, so you start with compassion. You start with, here's a person who is not maliciously coming in and trying to play people against each other or take everyone's time. Here's someone who is desperate, vulnerable, hurting living in this And is playing people wilderness. against each other and is taking up lots of time. Right. And but, is, but not high-handedly. Yeah. It's, uh, it in, has a more desperate quality. Right. Than, right. Right. What, what's the next yeah. What's the next step? Where do you go with that? You know, I, there are probably lots of things we could say next. I'll, I'll, the one that first comes to mind for me is, it is the first, it is the, and these go together, it's the commitment to give of yourself, of your church, of your people, and at the same time, the commitment to set limits. So there's a realism that these this person would demand the universe from anyone who's there, and we can't give the universe, but we're going to give something. And that's the commitment to simply have a, I will care for you, and it's going to have certain boundaries. It may The practicality may be, Let's say there's a, a caring woman in the church that wants to wants to reach out. She would get burned out if she got six phone calls a day every day of the week. She's got three little kids. She's got another life to live. Yeah. But for her to say, 
I am committed to meet with you for breakfast every Thursday, and we'll spend two hours. And beyond that, I have other responsibilities. Now that limit will be tested. Mm-hmm. You'll get other phone calls, you'll get bombarded with emails, you'll get you know, perhaps desperate calls. And to be able to both affirm I love you and we're gonna we have a set date we're getting together on Thursday morning and there are other things I need to do now. That doesn't mean that I don't care for you, but this is the these are the contours of how I can care. It's part of that is simply saying all of us are finite and whatever help we can offer, we are not the God who is always there at the end of every one of those Psalms as the receiver. Um, but ultimately, this, this person is going to need to find the kind of help in a relationship with a God who is stable, who is safe, who is loving, who is wise, who is merciful, who is holy, who has a calling, who gives gifts. That will need to get start to get implanted profoundly. And at a human level, we can't offer ourselves to be that. But we will offer ourselves within limits. I think that's a starting place. And it's very freeing for the helpers because you can you're 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 being asked to be the Messiah who will fulfill an infinite need uh, and you aren't. So to write up front, say I can be a little piece of help. I can't make everything better. Yeah. I liken it a little bit, and you, you, this is a metaphor you can't push forever, but when Jesus fed the the crowd in John six they were stuck. They were really stoked. Like, this is great. And then they wanted the eternal bread machine. Right. And he wasn't going to be the eternal bread machine. Even the Messiah would not give them exactly what they wanted. But in the long run, he would give them something better. He would give them himself. And that included his mission to die for them and to give his life for them. So, you know, that's a big picture that you're going to have a lot of little steps trying to wrestle out how to implement I, I suppose a, a, a second thing that a church would be helpers need to reckon with is there's going to be times you're confused, you don't know what to do. These people can be difficult. People are difficult. And um, uh, the temptation to burn out, the temptation to just avoid, the temptation to say, I've had it. Uh, but to recognize it, I will struggle. But let's, let's, seek to again to find both what we can give and then the limits on what we can give and, and if, I, if I if I can I think um, implicit in what I hear you saying is uh, the way you want to think about where those limits are it's not it's not so much saying, Oh, this person is dangerous and could take up all my time. Therefore, I must keep them to only Thursday mornings because yeah, it's I not just boundary setting in right. a in a crass self serving way. Right. It's 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 a is acknowledging there really is a need here, and I really can be part of meeting a need. I can't be all that would be asked of me. And the way I think about what would be helpful is I set something up that really only makes sense in a fairly long term sustainable perspective, like. Two hours on a Thursday morning isn't a, a great answer to a crisis one time. But it's, it's a, a huge commitment yeah. to a lifelong walk with someone that's going to last years. That's going to be and just, you know, we're in this together. Yeah. And I'm still going to be here next Thursday. 
And I think what's so difficult is, and that's why you wade through crisis. You'll wade through crises, and then right. but Thursday morning is still there, right. and then Thursday morning is still there. Exactly. And you'll get accused of being unloving, but Thursday morning is still there. Right. Right. And and that is likely to be a fairly unique experience in in that person's life of having someone who is still there after crises and after they've accused you of being unloving and, and so on and so forth to have that for you to still be there the next Thursday uh, it, it's it's the difference between saying um, every week you either need to protect yourself and keep yourself safe or you need to love this person and give them what they need and saying no it, neither of those is actually the way to frame it it's I'm trying to love you for the next decade I'm yeah. trying to love you for for yeah. a long haul um, and I know that in order to do that, I need to be able to sustain my other commitments sure. to love other people and, yeah. and other things. And the person's about. sense of need does not define their true need. Right. Their sense of need is infinite. Right. They, they want bread every day. Right. <laughs> they right. want the bread machine. And, and, and in their particular case, they're, probably most of us at some level or another would, would end up in having to acknowledge, yes, my sense of need is infinite, um, but we... We'll manage that in different ways. We'll be more likely to pursue that uh, in in ways that don't uh, so directly ask something of another person. Well, I don't. If I don't want to be rejected, I'll go find it some other way, and you know, I'll, I'll sort of hide away from that, or I'll isolate and be happy by myself, or tell myself that, or I'll sink into video games, or you know, whatever the case may be. Whereas these people's sense of need for that relational connection is so acute that most of the other escapes that are <laughs> available. To, to other sorts of sinners uh, are less appealing. Mm. Anything else you'd say in terms of thinking about bringing, um, bringing a, a team to bear? I mean, we've been thinking sort of in terms of the individual relating to the individual. Yeah. Uh, let's say you're, let's say you're a, a women's ministry director and uh, someone comes to your women's Bible study and begins to get involved and, and you just you sense, oh, you know, I heard that podcast. Oh, I think that's what this is talking yeah. about. You know, here's again something that the power of the presenting difficulties can obscure this, but this person, like all of us, has gifts, and the church has needs for those gifts. And so for a group, so say a, a women's ministry or other things that might be going on in your church, uh, perhaps deacons, diaconal work, mercy ministry, opportunities for this person to actually do something. Maybe they simply get asked, they get asked on a rotation to be the one who reads scripture, or they are invited to come along and go feed the homeless, or they are asked to be part of a team that's going to stuff envelopes and brochures for an upcoming event in the church. Uh, I've known some people that that fits some of these descriptions. Uh, uh, one woman in particular I'll, I'll reference who, there was someone, and she was in our small group. Uh, we had a, there was a member of our group that was leaving town. And we asked everyone to help contribute to their moving expenses. This woman had a lot of financial struggles, as people often do when their lives are chaotic. But she, she was so touched that she was asked to help. And if memory serves, she, she gave $5. It was a widow's might. It was an extremely significant act, and it was dignifying to her as a human being and as a sister and as someone in the body of Christ that she was not simply 
a troubled problem person who needed help, but actually that she could offer something, a widow's might that would be a genuine help to someone else. So that's one thing for a leader to, again, it's a part of that humanizing that you mentioned right from the top, that it's part of the humanizing that I mentioned and saying, try to put yourself in the person's shoes. It's part of the humanizing of, we need to love people, but we're not infinite, you know, love wells that can just pour forth whatever the person wants. Uh, so finding places for the person to be helpful mm-hmm. are part of it. Things that take the some of the emphasis away from you're just a problem person and then you've got all these right. things we're going to do. We, the well, will do to help right. you, the sick. You uh, are our ministry as opposed you're to you're our, our sister. You're our sister. Our and yes, you need ministry. And, and so do we. And so do we. And here's my prayer request. And yeah. here's our need for some practical help in setting up chairs or... Yeah. Or stuffing envelopes. Yeah. Uh, I'm really appreciating the way you're you're drawing the theme of humanizing just through all these. You're humanizing. You're humanizing because um, the the label itself, but but even even just your instinctive reaction to someone who feels like they're asking more from you than you want to give or feel like you can give. And someone who's the trouble they cause is so right grating and and relentless at times. And, yeah. and and to humanize is, is just to say you're, you're a person. And I, I I will both respect your fragility and I will challenge sure. your requests. Well, and, and, and then that you, what you're saying there goes right into the next part that, that must be part of it. We're, we're a ministry of speaking the truth in love. So we've been talking about the love. Yeah. And there's a truth part. And that's, again... Similar to some of the advice that parents will get, you know, with an unruly child, like pick your pitches, you know. <laughs> but in picking your pitches, to be clear and to the point, you know, if, if she's throwing a tantrum over nobody loves me and I'm all alone and all that gets rejected and I feel so unsafe, we have a God who is a refuge, whose love is safe. And the first 50 times you say that, she may be processing it through a distorted lens, right. and the fifty-first time, it might the light might start to. There, God is a refuge. His love is different than the kind of love she wants. His love is the love of a of a savior. It's not the love of the, someone who will fill your love tank, uh, your infinite love tank that has leaks in it. Um, yeah. It's the love of a father who will stick with you and raise you your whole life long. It's not just a lover who, right. you know, will make you adores feel like, you, right? adores you. So it's a different kind of love. So the word love is going to be, you know, need correction and restructuring. Safety is going to need restructuring. Uh, mercy is going to need restructuring. But uh, when someone throws a tantrum, when one of these uh, uh, sisters, brothers, throws a tantrum, the holding out of mercy and saying, you know, it, the way God tells us to deal with our anger is to simply say to him, I was wrong, to blow up and to say those words, please forgive me. You can say that to God. He forgives you. You can say it to the person that you yeah. were so intense towards. The, those all create the call to about where you take refuge, where you seek love, how to ask forgiveness. All those things become doors for the gospel to become more and more relevant and uh, again it's one of the advantages to the humanizing is you view people holistically right. you take seriously that they this this person feels life is 
She feels very threatened, overwhelmed by life, and at the same time does sinful things and right. says sinful things. And, and to humanize is fundamentally to, to say we are dependent. We do need. We are vulnerable. We are fragile. And the yeah. only resource truly for any of us is, is the living is the God, God whom himself. Scripture portrays, yeah. who doesn't. He doesn't map to the shape of our fallen heart. He's, right. He reshapes our fallen right. heart. And there's probably even a lesson, a lesson to uh, those of us who maybe don't fit this label of, there, in one sense, this person is more accurately seeing than the rest of us the level of human dependence on an external source of love and comfort. We, If you feel self-sufficient... We, we self-sufficient types have got some lessons to learn. We, we do indeed. That's right. Yeah, we may be ashamed of the passionate vulnerability of the psalms the kind of faith the psalms have yeah. and uh, yeah, the psalms in, are not just about a well-managed mental life and right. the ability to proceed stoically at a high functioning <laughs> level they're right. about a genuine sense of need that finds a genuine and desperation yeah a genuine god yeah. Yeah. david will you just pray for sure. uh, for our listeners uh, especially those who either are in churches thinking about i know who this podcast has been about, or people who are listening and saying, this has utterly destroyed me to hear people talking about me and my own experience, and I feel the awfulness of hearing myself described as needy, uh, which I utterly resonate with and utterly hate about myself. So would you just pray for for both sides of the equation? Our Father, we thank you that that shattering image of our neediness that the Psalms portray is a door to your mercies, to your safety, to your comfort. And it's also a pointer for, it's a door for both those who know they need help and for those who think they might not need help or look other places. And it's also a pointer for all of us about where the deepest and most enduring uh, solutions to all that's wrong lie. We thank you that your love is stronger than death. Your love is deeper than death. Your love is bigger than any of our sins. Your presence is more than all the ways we can feel very alone. And I pray that you'll help us, Lord, whatever place in the sum total of the brothers and sisters that belong to you is, that you'll help us to both seek the help we need and to offer the help that others need. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. I've actually got two resources for you this week, if you're interested in going further. The first is a video about Borderline that David Pallison filmed a few years ago, which touches on many of the same themes we hit on in our podcast today, but also adds a few pieces we didn't have time to mention. Just go to ccef.org podcast, and you'll see a link right below today's episode. Secondly, right there on the page with the video is a link to an article by Jeffrey Boyd that David mentions in the video, which is downloadable for free as well. As always, if you have comments or questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at ccef.org. Till next time, blessings. Blessings.